everyone and welcome to AI Literacy, your podcast about artificial intelligence. We're your hosts. I'm Anna Regina Entis. And I'm Victoria Rubley. Thank you for tuning in to a new episode of AI Literacy. Hello, everyone. Today we're talking to Soma Gadopadi, former vice president of digital and emerging technologies at NBC Universal and former director of cloud services product management at AT&T. And currently she's working at Estee Lauder at the brand Estee Lauder as a vice president for global brand technology leader. Thank you for joining us today, Soma. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to participate in this conversation with you. Uh, so very much looking forward to it. So we're going to ask you a little bit about yourself first. Um, how did you go from studying engineering and your MBA in business from Columbia University to then working in the telecom and media industry? And how did you end up where you're now at Estee Lauder combining marketing and the customer experience with your background in tech? Wow. So you <laughs> want me to put my entire autobiography in like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so after my engineering, I joined um, AT&T uh, at that time um, as a you know, process engineer, software development. I spent quite a bit of time at AT&T. Um, taking, assuming various roles. And then at some point I decided, you know, I spent quite a bit of my, most of my time on the technology side, uh, responsible for development, technology development uh, and delivering server products and services. So I decided, you know what, I need to get some business experience and business knowledge and want some kind of a formal education towards business. Because if you want to, uh, assume a senior leadership position at any company, the business knowledge is extremely important for you. So I decided to get my MBA at Columbia Business School. So I did an executive program. So once I got my MBA, I decided, you know what, I want to take on, I want to take on a role on the business side so I can actually get some experience. So that's how I ended up at the cloud services. AT&T was looking to get into cloud services like Amazon or Microsoft, anything like that, uh, developing that product. Uh, so I took on the responsibility for that business and worked there for a couple of years. And then I got this opportunity at NBC Universal, which I thoroughly enjoyed. You know, it's a, it was a totally different industry at that time for me, a media industry, which is always exciting. Um, and innovation, emerging tech, you know, you know, always on the cutting edge technologies, working, learning new things. So it was really exciting. So I spent about five years there and then, uh, uh, then the Estelar opportunity came along. You know, it's been about a year and a half or so since I uh, joined Estelar. Again, you know, it's a different industry. So I, I am always looking to learn more and I'm, I get very excited when there is something new to learn. And then you can also, of course, contribute back. The beauty of this whole thing, my journey is that when you have a technology background, technology transcends industries. So it all when you have technical skills and that kind of uh, thinking, etc. It doesn't matter what industry you are, you apply the same knowledge, but it's a different application, but um, your basic skills are applicable across all industries. So that really worked out very well for me. You just said that technology transcends industries. So how did your approach on AI um, change depending on the industry you were working in? And how did AI start to play like a major role in your career? 
The t- first time I started working on AI was really when I was at NBC Universal. The problem there we were trying to solve is, um, you know, NBC had a lot of video assets um, because we produced so much video through news and, you know, various shows and so on and so forth. So what happens is in, a, let's say, a news organization you take, they produce so much news all day. And then later on in the future, you know, when they want to bring up a particular clip from the past uh, program, you go into the archive and the search process is very cumbersome. Uh, you literally have to watch those programs to pick a two-minute clip from somewhere. For example, Obama said something in back in uh, 2009, uh, where is that clip, right? It, today, they have to watch all those uh, shows or all those tapes to actually uh, get to that point and then edit that clip and then reuse it, you know, to quote somewhere some other time. So, which is very cumbersome. So, we were like, what can we digitize these things so that just like how we do Google search, we should be able to do the same thing. Um, so, that's how we started thinking about the problem. You know, we, we started experimenting with it using natural language processing, computer vision. Um, you know, machine learning, those uh, techniques to figure out, okay, if, um, you know, the computer processes the videotape and understands through natural language processing, breaks down every word and then, you know, stores that in the library. Similarly, watches all the video through computer vision, you should be able to identify the faces Uh, that are on the video and then stores that information. And then you develop machine learning algorithms on top of it to train the models uh, so that you can automatically do this stuff going forward. So that's how we kind of developed a system, AI system, where we applied it to CNBC and we could, uh, the application that we ended up doing was, for example, you and I don't watch, you know, CNBC all day long because we have other things to do. But we are also investors in some stocks here and there. For example, you are an investor of Apple, you know, at the end of the day or any time really, you want to know what happened with Apple. So we should be able to give you uh, clips on Apple during the day, wherever Apple was discussed during the day and give all those clips automatically and give it to you saying that, you know, these are the five clips that we found where Apple was discussed and the news about Apple, etc. automatically without any kind of human in- intervention. Now it's personalized for you, you know, it's at your fingertips and you could set your portfolio. So you get that specifically for your, you know, pref- based on your preferences. So that's the kind of system we developed using, you know, AI based mainly natural language processing and computer vision. So that's how I started. And that whole process was really exciting. And, you know, we worked with wonderful mm, team members to actually develop this system. And then, of course, now I come to Estee Lauder, you know, it's AI, but at solving a different problem. <laughs> so it's, it's in the end, it is a similar scenario with different problems, but you apply, you have the same approach to integrate AI to make the process more efficient and more user-friendly. So it's all about the user experience in the end. That's right, exactly. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about um, like the your AI projects at um, Estee Lauder? So because due to COVID, the beauty industry has been hit like many other industries very heavily by the pandemic. 
um, not only in terms of uh, the way we work, but the projects we work on. So uh, what has changed due to COVID in your everyday work life? What projects did you suddenly um, give higher priority to and why? It's a very interesting, appropriate question because, uh, you know, virtual try-on is a capability that many of you might have heard. It's basically you look in the mirror or iPad and then um, based on using AI and augmented reality, you can try on different lipsticks. For example, you could do 30, 30 lipsticks in 30 seconds. Uh, you just click on the color you like. It kind of paints it on your um, on your face and using AR, your reflection shows up on the iPad. So you can try it quickly and see what actually suits your face better, you know, and then pick what you like, right? So b before that was not possible where you have to go to the store and beauty advisor would actually have to apply lipstick for you. And then how many can you try? Like a three, four, after a while, the lips become dry when you keep uh, trying, when you keep trying more and more. So the most you could try is three, four, five, not more than that. Whereas now this kind of technology allow you to try as many as you want very quickly. And that's a much, much better experience as a consumer to try and pick the one that best suits you. So this is the type of technology that we developed almost two years ago. We, uh, you know, it was very innovative at that time and only one or two brands adopted it at that time. Um, but with the COVID, what happened was, well, people could not go into the store. So they couldn't interact with the beauty advisors or try on lipstick or foundation or any of the makeup, right? So everything shifted online. So now we had to like speed up a lot of these projects and double down on this virtual try-on capability and enable it on all our channels, such as, you know, our website um, and WeChat and like wherever we have a presence, we enabled it on all those channels. So that's the work that really got highest priority. And we not only use this virtual try-on capability, not just for makeup, but like a lipstick and stuff but also for foundation and even skincare with skincare similar if the camera actually looks at your face and identifies various skin conditions dryness redness kind of thing and then based on that we recommend certain products you know use these products to take care of that um, condition that you may have so these types of capabilities we um, sped up and enabled it everywhere so that our consumers can take advantage of them even when they're home but for me, it would be interesting, or I think for our listeners also to imagine how the AI technology behind it works. Like, how does the AI understand that someone is having um, very dry skin or it is having um, a lot of acne and needs especially products that are tailored to this problem they have or to this need they have? So how how can we imagine um, is the, the technology built, how's the model uh, built that detects those uh, skin conditions? Right. So that's where the AI uh, comes in. And so a lot of it really goes down to data model, uh, data that you build. So you almost have to train the model with like, I don't know, 100,000 faces right um and basically you train the model with all these different types of conditions feed the images with the different type of conditions so that machine over a period sees the patterns and then create that machine learning model um, so that's how ai really works you feed the data repeatedly or so much data that 
uh, after a while you start to establish the patterns in the data and and then you create a machine learning model on top of it so that when when the when it sees the new data it automatically recognizes oh i already know how this is what this is so let me react this way that's how ai really works so it really goes back to the training model so in our case we have to train you know lipstick as an example so first you have to train the model with facial um, shape right the lips versus nose versus eyes and you know all of us have different real different even if you just focus on lips they're all in different shapes so you have to train the computer to uh, read the shape and understand exactly how to you know identify that area so there is that algorithm uh, alg- set of algorithms that you need to develop with that, you know, a lot of training the faces number two is also the colors you know we have let's say 50 shades we need to train the computer on those 50 shades so that if one shade is uh, painted on you it's got to be exact shade that we picked so it's got to ma- do the color matching exactly that takes a lot of um, trial and error and uh, you know training as well so though both sides you have to do and then the third element of it is ethnicities right because we are a global company so we need to train the com- uh, computer models with the different ethnic faces because and not every color suits you or me you know they're all they look different um so we have to take that also into considerations and train the model to suit for various ethnicities facial recognition is pretty known to be guilty of like very light-skinned bias um what are you doing in order to fight against this type of bias Yeah, ethnicities. We have to, especially as a company, we are a global company, so we want to sell our product everywhere to all consumers and not just one set of consumers. We train the model with all ethnicities and all sorts of uh, faces into account, Asian, white, uh, Hispanic, African-American, you know, all the different regions. And yeah, absolutely. So if we have like the right skin tone now and we are still looking for uh, the right skin shade, like the right makeup shade, right? So how do you train the model to provide like the correct recommendation if uh, the skin is oily or it has redness or whatever other conditions it has? How do you provide the, the right product from Estee Lauder for your combination of skin? Right. So the first, again, uh, the algorithms that we develop needs to recognize the, your skin condition, right? I mean, the, the color, the tone, like all that kind of stuff. I mean, because we trained the model with all ethnicities and all types of skin, uh, skin types, etc. So it already has that built-in knowledge. And then when the camera looks at your face, uh, it can identify there is a dry spot here and there. So because that model already has that information, as soon as it looks at it, it can recognize this is this looks like a dry spot or this looks like a red spot, that kind of stuff. Um, so it really goes back to training. The better training that you models that you build, the more efficiently the product behaves or more accurate um, AI would be or the the whole virtual try-on process, mm-hmm. having, we have those components, those AI components, mm-hmm. giving the right recommendation and um, being able to detect the skin condition, color, and all those mm-hmm. features. But if we look at the um, augmented reality component, the AR component, how do you augment the reality to a degree 
where it's really 100% or like very, very close to the actual rea reality. Right. Because I know if I use Snapchat and I move my head too far to the left or too far to the right, the filter is not applied properly or... I don't know if, if uh, I uh, poke up my tongue and, and right. use your Voltra try-on, it will most likely not apply the lipstick properly. So how do you deal with this uh, major, I would say, minus in the customer experience? Right. It really goes back to your quality of a development. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the virtual try-on um, stuff uh, capabilities that came out, let's say, three years ago, that would give you your lips are here, but it puts the lips uh, with AR, the lips are somewhere up to the right, right? It doesn't align properly. Um, so it, that's why you it's uh, the training and the testing and accuracy is really, really important. A company like us, we don't put out products un unless they are like 100% accurate and 100% uh, quality. We worked with the developer to make sure it really is 100% aligned with your face, not like somewhere on the side. If it is, then we wouldn't even consider it putting it out in front of consumers. So it really goes back to, again, better training and you know refining algorithms so that the improve, uh, accuracy improves over a period. And if we go a little bit more into the granularity of the mm -hmm. recommendations, mm -hmm. um, how is AI gonna be used to uh, consolidate recommendations across like, multiple channels? So will there be in the future, maybe we will take a picture of a model and be like, oh, we like the makeup look on this. Um, so will Estee Lauder then be able to recommend the products she used? Yes, it's not future. It is actually happening. <laughs> I would say it's in, probably in the works. Basically, when you give an image of a model and feed it to the system, it would scan it and understand, you know, some of the facial attributes uh, of that model and then the color matching that happens, right, with the lipstick color or foundation color, etc. And then do a match with items that we have on our uh, product line and then say these would be the best match for you. It's not just exactly replicating those looks on you, but also it has to take into account your facial attributes. You know, some people have a, a long jawbone, some people have a rounded jawbone or like eyes, right? Some have big eyes versus small. So when you are, apply eye makeup, it kind of looks different from everybody. So you got to take some of that into account. And of course, you know, how it looks on you is also beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, right? <laughs> you may think it looks beautiful, but I may think it doesn't, even though we're looking at the same image, right? So there is that. Of course, um, we may not... Um, that might be a hard one to take into account because it was our personal preferences. So that's why we always give multiple looks or multiple options for you to choose from. It's not just one recommendation, it's multiple recommendations. And uh, that way you have a, the same thing like a foundation. I'll give you a good example of foundation. The computer might think this particular shade is suitable for you. But you as an individual may think, no, I don't like this. I want to look a little darker, for example, right? Then you may end up choosing something else. So there is that personal preference also we, want, we take into account so that when we present you with the choices, 
you have a little bit of flexibility. But this is also a thing between cultures, right? Like in some cultures, right. it's more beautiful to have lighter skin than the actual skin tone. And in others, it's the same or it's darker. So exactly. you also train the models on those cultural preferences and trends, because this could also lead to some issues. Uh, no, we don't do that part. I mean, just based on the skin tone, you recommend But then we also give you other recommendations or let you pick, no, I don't like this. I want a darker. We want you to specify which way you want to go, dial it up or down kind of thing. So you will be ultimately able to say, okay, this might be like my, my true skin tone, but uh, maybe it's the summer coming up soon. So you want to look a little bit more tan. So <laughs> you pick like a, the one type darker um, or something like that. But what what do you do if you like, recommend something to a customer and they are going to be like, no, this is totally different from what I imagined. Um, how do you deal with like bad customer experience? Right. Now, that's a good question. That is why we take pride in providing, we call it high-touch customer service. So that's why our beauty advisors come in. You know, the virtual try-on, we see those tools as great for online kind of a thing, right? You know, we just want to buy something, but they're not end-all. They can't be end-all, be-all. So if you are in the store, as an example, you have a beauty advisor, they can actually talk to you, understand your preferences really, and give you a choice or customize Uh, the selection for you. So you have a person to talk to and have the dialogue and, you know, that kind of experience. But now with the technology, you can actually take the same thing online as well. So now we're enabling virtual uh, consultations. So you are on the website, you know, picking and not sure what actually is better or, you know, then you can actually talk to a virtual beauty advisor right there and they can actually work with you to see what might look better or what might not and like all that kind of, so that at the end you're guaranteed to, you know, get a product that you want. Looking at all those changes, because For example, I have never, I never went uh, into a store where I was in front of an iPad or like a smart mirror trying on virtually uh, different types of makeup. But if I go maybe 10, 20, 30 years uh, into the future, implementing those technologies would possibly enable you after one person has once used your virtual try on to recognize this person, for example, when he or she goes into the store. So you already know, okay, this person has tried on product X, Y, Z, and they're going, um, walking into the store, they're looking at those products, and you already know in advance what they're most likely to purchase and how to recommend them the ideal, um, maybe complementary product. So you're really able to create a 360 degree customer experience. And if in in two years, the same person uses the try-on technology again, you remember, you can recognize, okay, how has the skin changed? Uh, what product preferences does this person have right now? It's incredible to imagine that this will be possible with all those technologies. But do you think or do you expect that the result will be that there won't be salespersons at some point in the store anymore? Or there won't be any products to try on anymore because we will basically not need it? Or do you think this will still be part of the customer journey? 
I think it would still be part of the customer journey. The experience that you just described where, you know, we would know what products you tried before, what worked before, etc. And based on that, when you come in again, we, you know, have that dialogue with you. That technology is available today. I mean, it's not implemented everywhere. It's being rolled out slowly. But, you know, if you go to China, like Hong Kong or Shanghai or something like that, it is absolutely available. So not through facial recognition, like, you know, you walk into the store and then we recognize your face and say, ah, you know, she's here. We didn't go that far yet because that can create a creepy experience for the customer. So we're not there yet. We don't want to do that yet. But um, once you come into the store and, let's say check in or you put in your credentials we can pull up your profile and then when you're trying the virtual try on etc you know every time you try something you know the information is there and what products you purchased before so we have all we can actually create that 360 experience for you similarly you know you buy online you want to you can come into the store to pick up instead of getting it delivered you know things of that nature so we do have that linkage between online and in-store experience together so we have we can have that authentic dialogue with you based on your needs so there is that and then in terms of um, do we in future do we need a beauty advisor um I think you would. Maybe not every transaction, every conversation needs a beauty advisor, but there are instances where you want somebody. If you're just walking in and buying a lipstick that you know that works for you, obviously you don't need somebody, right? But you want to try something new. You know, beauty is something all of us, right? We go through different phases in life. And we also get bored of using the same thing. You want to try different shades, different colors, you know, all these kinds of things. So you want to talk to somebody to see what works, what doesn't work. So I feel like that kind of a need will not go away because humans, we are, want to experiment. We want something new. So would you say in, in Asia, because you mentioned that in Asia, it's a bit different and people are, I would say, more willing to give data to the companies or the companies are not violating laws by uh, using it really on another scale. So um, probably there would be faster this like development and also recognizing the face and like this creepy experience maybe for, for many Western people as more normal there is easier to implement there so uh will you are you already like working on on this in asia no we have not developed that anywhere yet maybe down the road i don't know but so far we have not again but whatever we do we make sure we comply with that country's privacy and regulation laws so we have to so we will do that we'll do that but so far um By choice, we didn't. How is this done? Um, like now with the 360 degree customer experience with the virtual try-ons, you have like such an immense amount of data about each customer. Um, how do you protect this type of data? Because it might be also sensitive. It might be about skin conditions. You might know about a lot of very private things. How is this? How does this work with data privacy issues and how do you protect the data? I mean, every country has a data privacy laws, um, you know, in Europe, GDPR, and they specify clearly when you have the data, how you protect it, 
what kind of controls you have to put in place. As an example, in China, the data cannot leave the country. So you can't have a server in Palo Alto and, you know, serving Chinese customers. The, the data has to be within the country, cannot leave the country. And then there are like other things. So you have to apply you know, all those laws and regulations. You take those things very seriously, not only because of privacy and regulation laws, but also even for our customers. We want to build the, uh, build that trust with our customers, right? We don't want to look, come across like we don't care about it or like it's, it is a very serious, we take that privacy and compliance issue very, very seriously. We try not to collect more data than necessary. Um, for example, for a lot of the virtual try-ons, when you try, when you come into the store, we, you know, like in US as an example, we don't actually collect any information. It's a totally anonymous. You walk in, um, you try it. If you like something, you pick up from the counter and go buy it. But the fact that you tried and you pay, you liked one, that information doesn't exist. So when you try it again, you're a brand new customer. It's a new session altogether. So we don't actually collect any information in a lot of cases. So, but bottom line is, you know, number one, we want to protect our customer data because we want to have that trust with them. And also we have to follow the government regulations. So... <laughs> I'm curious when this is going to happen. I'm curious yeah. when I'm going to walk into an Estee Lauder store in Paris or wherever. <laughs> yeah, you should, and actually. When it becomes like normality to just walk in and, and use a smart mirror to try on 30 shades of lipstick in 30 seconds. It, it sounds incredible for me. I have tried it a few times with the app, but um, I have never seen it in store. I'm excited about taking a picture and being like, I like this makeup look. I want to have everything to recreate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. Thank you very much for taking time and, and doing this interview with us. It was very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I really enjoyed talking to you both. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode and want to learn more about AI, make sure to subscribe to AI Literacy on Spotify, SoundCloud, or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for being with us today. We can't wait to share other insights on AI with you and help you become an AI literate.